For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's now ride. Time for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What's happening, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Incline. We got a big one here because the regular season is officially in the books. This is the Dodgers wild card round preview. And first thing I got to do is introduce the team. So let's start with David Rosenthal. How's it going? How's it going, Kevin? Uh, good to be here on the penultimate night before the playoffs. Uh, Dodgers couldn't have performed much better this year. Uh, they tied the 2003 Detroit Tigers and wins by playing 102 less games. Uh, so that's a feat in itself. Uh, this three-game series is a little, little worrisome, uh, but I think they'll get it done. Yes. Jake Reiner, how you doing? Good, Kevin. Good to be here. This is exciting. I'm glad we are here, that we've made it all the way to the playoffs. Um, I'm still scared to death of the Milwaukee Brewers, even though they were only one of two teams in Major League history to make the playoffs with a losing record. It doesn't change the fact that it's a three-game series and it's a bit of a coin flip. Yes. And lastly, he joined us right before the season started, and he's back to help us help guide us through this wild card round. It's Blake Harris. How you doing? I mean, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting week because we're going to find out, but I guess Friday or Saturday, whether or not we absolutely hate this three-game series more than anything we've ever witnessed in baseball history, or if it's just a quick two-game sweep, we say, hey, maybe that wasn't so bad. Maybe we get to advance around quickly. But looking forward to uh, bracing myself for heartbreak. But yet again, it's MLB postseason, so it doesn't feel like it should be the playoffs now, even though it is, you know, October and this is when normally it happens it doesn't feel like we should be getting the playoffs but I'm looking forward to it yeah it's going to be really exciting the playoffs are here the season went by really fast this is a great show today if you don't know a lot about the Brewers well you're going to know a lot about them by the time this show's over there's going to be some hot takes probably fired in here some emotions so you guys are set for a great show so let's just jump right into it the 43 and 17 Los Angeles Dodgers are forced to play a best of three wild card game series against the 29 and 31 Milwaukee Brewers. We kind of joked a week ago when all these teams were battling for the eighth seed. Instead of winning, they did the opposite. They were all just losing out. And that's kind of how the trend went. It literally came down to the final day where the Giants and the Brewers both lost, as well as the Phillies. But here we are, the Milwaukee Brewers. So let's get your initial guys' thoughts on how, what are the keys to beating this Brewers team? And I'll start with Jake. Yeah, so I don't know what Rob Manfred had in mind when he set up this playoff picture, this, this expanded Money. playoffs. Money. Maybe, <laughs> but gosh, it's been, it, it's just, it lo- already is a disaster. I mean, you have a final day of the season and you have all of the teams that are quote unquote fighting for a spot, losing on the last day just it's just awful and the fact that the brewers clinched by losing it just uh it's just horrible but what i'm looking for in this series is uh the dodgers are hot coming into this series and i like that 
In years past, they've uh, somewhat stumbled into the playoffs. 2018 was an example of that where you didn't really feel particularly confident. Even last year, they didn't really, you know, play, you know, uh, with, with, you know, all the momentum behind them. So this year I'm feeling good. We, we only lost one series the entire season. And so that's something that, that, is, that is key. So in a three-game series, based on what we've done throughout the regular season, we should beat the, beat the Milwaukee Brewers. The one thing that's going to be tough for the Dodgers is this Brewers bullpen uh, with Josh Hader and, uh, and, and that other guy that we just heard about, I feel like, five minutes ago. Devin Williams, yeah. Um, Devin Williams, exactly. So those are the guys that, that I'm looking at. The Brewers are going to be able to shorten games with those, uh, with those pitchers. So for the Dodgers, they got to score often and early in order to make those guys not a factor at the end of the game. How about one of you guys go next? I'm going to go last. Um, I'll go because mine's super simple. Score early is the key. Uh, I'm not intimidated by this Brewers starting pitching staff. I don't even – I think the only starter they're going to use is Woodruff. I think they're going to go with bullpen in game one, and if there's a game three, bullpen in game three. Um, so if they can score – if the Dodgers can score runs early, I think they got this series in the bag. Uh, as Jake mentioned, you don't want to run into this bullpen uh, full of Hayter, Williams, and Peralta, who I'll get into a, a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's score early and win the series. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be monitoring – Mookie Betts's hip or, or rib area, because uh, if that's damaged, then we're in trouble. Uh, but it's pretty simple. It's this is going to be the off the Dodgers' offense is going to be the key to the series. Yeah, I, I like what Jake said about how the the Dodgers have lost only one series all season, which definitely means they're due. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it, it's like fantastic, but that just goes to show where it's like a three-game series, I mean, anything can happen. I, and, again, I, I think he just hit it perfectly as well, saying score early because looking at this Brewers, I mean, I again, I, I've been trying to figure out what they're going to be doing with their starting rotation because, what, Corbin Burns, I guess he's officially out for the series. He was their best starting I mean by a, by a landslide, he was the best starting pitcher. He's going to be like a Cy Young candidate, so the Brewers are going to be without him. I have no clue what they're going to do. But, yeah, that, that bullpen, I mean, Devin Williams, this guy – I, I personally think he should be rookie of the year for the sole reason he was the best reliever in all of baseball this year. I mean, this yeah. guy was an absolute stud. His changeup, many people think it's like already the best changeup in all of baseball. It, it's filthy. And, you know, you look at Josh Hader, he had an ERA of 3.79. That's because I think he had like one outing where he allowed, I think, like six runs and like one third of an inning. Because if I recall correctly, I think he straight up started the season having like a no hitter. Like I think he retired like the first 27, yeah. 28 batters he faced. So he's, he's still elite. So don't let the numbers fool you. Yeah. The Brewers bullpen. That's what worries me. The, the offense, I'm again, it's a 60 game season. So it's, it's tough to read too, too much into it, especially considering their best hitter all year was Jed Jerko. So uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, they still have Christian Yelich. They still have a bunch of good names, but this isn't the Brewers offense that faced the Dodgers two years ago. So it's not as lethal, I think. So the offense doesn't worry me. It's again, just score early because if you get to a late game situation where you're tied, you're up one, you're down one. And again, you got Williams, you got Hader, you got all those guys at the back end. I think that could spell trouble for the Dodgers quickly. Yep. Uh, I'll reiterate what you guys said. It's pretty obvious. The key is to score early, get up fast and hold on to the leads. I'll go into more in depth in a little bit. Just wanted to read a quick quote by Craig Council, the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. He said just yesterday, we only have to beat them twice. We have to play them good. It's very doable. And I mean, he's kind of stating the obvious, but I mean, he's not wrong. Winning two out of three against any team is possible because it's baseball. So you guys just brought up the offense real quick, and that's where we're going to get started. This Brewers team is bad. I mean, they were no hit by the Chicago Cubs starter Alec Mills earlier this season, and they were also nearly no hit by Kent Maeda of now the Minnesota Twins. They set a franchise record with the worst team batting average in franchise history, 223. In terms of OPS, they ranked 24th in baseball, 702. Home runs, they hit 75. That ranked for 16th. In terms of striking out, they struck out the second most in Major League Baseball with 582. 15 stolen bases, which ranked 29th. And with runners in scoring position, they batted 256, which ranked 12th. Now you look at the Dodgers on the flip side. 
OPS, second in baseball, 821, led baseball in home runs with 118. They hit 256 as a team, which is ranked 11th with runners in scoring position, 291. And in terms of striking out, they were the fourth best team. They were very disciplined, 471. So let's talk some hitters real quick. Who are the guys that jump off the page? There's a lot of bad guys in here, but uh, I'll start with Jake again. Let's hear some guys. Yeah, so there, there are some guys that I looked into to, to highlight here. Again, this team is nowhere near the talent that they had in 2018. They're also without Lorenzo Cain, who opted out earlier this season. So that's something to take into account. But some of the good hitters this year, which aren't many, uh, one of them being Keston Hira. Uh, he led the, the the Brewers in home runs with 13. By the way, they only had two players with double-digit home run totals, Hira being one of them, Christian Yelich being the other. Uh, so Hira also leads the team in RBIs at 32, but he also uh, led the National League in strikeouts with 85, so there's that. And he batted uh, 212. Yeah, he batted 212. Uh, Christian Yelich, remember in, in, in 2018, that was his MVP season. He followed up with another MVP-type season in 2019. He lost out to Cody Bellinger. This year, nowhere near that. Um, he's hitting 205, uh, 356 on base percentage, which is pretty good, 430 slugging. Again, 12 home runs, only 22 RBIs, um, 46 walks, which leads the team. So he is getting on base, which just means that teams just don't want to face him, which is good because when they walk him, there's really no one else uh, in that lineup that really scares me. Uh, Ryan Braun, uh, not, not that great of a season either. Um, we did mention Jed Jerko, and he is one of the guys that has responded well for them. Uh, even though he's only hitting 248, he hit nine home runs, uh, 17 RBIs. His OPS is 838, and he's the only player on the Brewers with an OPS higher than 800. The Dodgers have six players with an OPS over 800, so that, that gives you an idea. And then one final player that I want to highlight is the big boy, Daniel Vogelbach. Donkey who they picked up uh, from the Blue Jays on September 3rd off waivers. He kind of bounced around with the Mariners, didn't really have that great of a season. But for some reason, now that he's a Brewer, he's hitting the cover off the ball in 19 games. He hit 328, 418 on base percentage, 569 slugging, and a 987 OPS. He obviously has a higher than 800 OPS, but because he only played in 19 games, not a big enough sample size for me. But he's at four home runs and 12 RBIs. So – the guys that are kind of on fire right now, Vogelbach, Jerko, Hira, and you always got to be worried about Yelich and Braun too, to a degree. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Vogelbach because of all the hitters in their lineup, you mentioned he was on the Mariners and they designated, for him, designated him for assignment like two games into that series. Couldn't do anything. Now all of a sudden he's on the Brewers. Hot hitter. It's really random. And then Avisel Garcia is another guy worth mentioning. He's only hitting 238. You'll see him in the leadoff spot. At least that was the trend recently. Only two home runs, 15 RBIs. But against Clay and Kershaw, he's four for four. So if you're into BVP, I mean, keep your eye out on that. And then they have a couple catchers who haven't been productive at all this season. But Jacob Nottingham has hit a couple bombs off lefties. So it's going to be someone sneaky in that lineup, whether it's Nottingham or Arcia. But that's just how it always goes for the Dodgers. Some random guy has a field day. Yeah, I mean, you guys basically covered all of it, um, but the two guys I'm keeping an eye on are Vogelbach and Arcia. Uh, Arcia, is a, he's, a good, he's a good baseball player. Uh, he, can, he can hit the ball. He's a great fielder, uh, and he does have some power. Um, so I'm, worried, I'm a little worried about him and a little worried about Vogelbach, who basically the Mariners just threw away uh, because they're bad, and the Brewers were able to pick, them up, pick, up, pick him up uh, due to the DH uh, being in the NL this year. So that was kind of a gift. Uh, as long as I keep it, you know, loan away to him, uh, should be fine. Uh, but he's got that looming power threat, which I would not want to see in a one-run game in the seventh or eighth. Yeah, you guys kind of took the whole Vogelbach thing from me because I was going to bring that up where this guy seems like if you're going to choose one guy in this lineup to come out of nowhere, that would absolutely just yep. damage the Dodgers by hitting two home runs in a game or for whatever reason – it was going to be Vogelbach. I, I, I remember, you know, the Mariners let him go. Then I think he was like with the Blue Jays for a day and now he's a brewer. So I, I didn't even look at his numbers prior to this. So I didn't realize he was scorched in the ball, which again, I'm not shocked because my roommate from ASU was a Mariners fan. So I actually watched a lot of Vogelbach at bats. This mm-hmm. guy's an awful player, 
But in the rare one out of 15 at-bats when this guy can connect, he'll hit a ball 450 feet. And he's the kind of guy where, like I said, if he just, you know, connects with like a Walker Bueller fastball, it's leaving Dodger Stadium. So I do worry about Vogelbach. But, you know, looking at the rest of the lineup, they do have some good guys. I don't care. Christian Yelich could have literally been one for 75 this year. And I'd say he still worries me the most in the starting lineup because I think the other day in the Dodgers broadcast, they were talking about it for guys like Muncie, Cody Bellinger, where for them, seeing their average reach zero in October and starting from starting from scratch, that could be a huge thing for them. So Christian Yelich, you know, seeing his, what, 200 average be at zero where one hit he's hitting a thousand, that can change his confidence. That still scares me. But yeah, I mean, th- this lineup, again, we, you guys already talked about all the names. I mean, no, no one really scares me. But again, this is the kind of lineup where they're not going to be hitting home runs. But I wouldn't be shocked if they pull off one of those innings where they string together like four or five or six just – singles doubles they just string together a rally because again they're not going to be like the Dodgers where they can put up two to three home runs in an inning but these are some good hitters and I I get that they've been awful this year at the plate again like when you read all those numbers I was shocked that they're that low I figured they'd be kind of like middle of the pack but they were bad and again anything can happen and when you got guys that can make contact which they can aside from you know leading leading the league in strikeouts like you said uh, it, it could be deadly but yeah in regards to this lineup the Dodger pitching should should take care of them. Yes. All right, let's talk about some Dodgers hitters real quick. I want a couple guys from each of you who you think are going to be the difference in this series. Just firing the list off real quick. Dodgers are batting 259 against right-handed pitching, 91 home runs, and against lefties, they've really improved. They're up to 250 now with 27 home runs. So for me, I think this is a great opportunity for Mookie Betts to come through as a playoff hero and also sneakily like Chris Taylor. I'll go first, though. No one steals it just in case, and I have to come up with a backup. I, I think I think A.J. Pollock. I mean, this yeah. guy, I mean, he has been having a fantastic season. I mean, you can give, you can give like, MVP to so many players, but for me personally, I'd give the Dodgers MVP to A.J. Pollock just because, for the most part, he stayed healthy, which is rare for him. And the dude was raking. I mean, he was raking all season. He was fantastic. He'd be, you know, like the best outfielder on half the teams in baseball. And a lot of Dodgers fans forget, you know, last year when he came back in the second half, he was, you know, hitting fantastic as well. It was just in October. I mean, I don't even want to look it up or what it was, but I think it was like 0 for 13 with like 11 strikeouts. That's, a, I mean, that's exactly what it was. Oh, it was? It's just, it's torn into <laughs> it's my sear, brain. It's seared in your memory as it is mine. Um, I mean, even if he goes three for 13, you know, I, he had some at-bats where he had runners on base. He could have delivered. Who knows how that series with the Nationals goes. I, I think if A.J. Pollock, if he can come in, again, we don't need him to be – fantastic we don't need him to be hitting 400 in the series whatever but if he can come in if he can be like the Dodgers fourth or best hitter overall I mean that could be a a real sneaky move because again he he's been hitting the ball well he seems to be healthy and it's just it's really tough to see him struggling like he did in October last year so for me uh, I like the Chris Taylor pick I mean I think he's going to be huge as well especially considering he's likely going to be the everyday second baseman but I think we're going to have a huge uh it's tough to say huge series from Pollock when it literally could be two games, but I, I think uh, we can get a huge series from him. Yeah, um, I'm going to go – I'm going to take this question a little bit differently. So for game one, I'm going to say Will Smith, A.J. Pollock, and Chris Taylor. They're probably going to face a left-handed pitcher to start. I would guess it's going to be Suter. Uh, and I think the righties are going are gonna to hit him well. Uh, and for game two, I'm going to go with Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson – I'm guessing he's going to get the start in game two against uh, Brandon Woodruff. He, he is three for three against Brandon Woodruff with two home runs. Uh, so I'm going to call my shot. I'm going to point to the right field bleachers and say Jock Peterson is a hero in game two. Uh, we've seen him come alive the last couple days of the season. Uh, obviously, his, he's been going through some family stuff. We might not get him past the wild card round. Uh, so I think he makes an impact in game two. Uh, also, I would go with probably Bellinger in game two. So I'm going, I'm going righty-lefty here. Uh, I'm pulling a Dave Roberts. Uh, for me, I, I also agree with Blake on the A.J. Pollock front. The dude has been awesome. He has something to prove in October. Like we mentioned, last year was just uh, horrendous. So I'm so glad that he's been able to bounce back this year and have a, have a career year that he had uh, during the regular season. It finished the final game with two bombs. He hit 10 home runs in September. So he is, he is on fire going into the postseason. Also, I'm expecting Corey Seager to have a huge series. Mm-hmm. The dude has, has absolutely torn the cover off the ball all season long. He is, is ripe to, to be our MVP in the postseason. 
And then Bellinger too, even though Bellinger's kind of have a, had a down year after his MVP season in 2019, he's starting to see the ball a lot better. He's getting a lot of walks um, and he can run into some. So I, I, I'm, I'm super pumped uh, to see what Bellinger does in this postseason as well as, as Corey Seager. And I did look it up because in the 2018 NLCS, Cody Bellinger was the MVP, believe it or not. And I think he hit about 200 in that series, which is just shocking to me. But he had a couple of clutch. Uh, he had a walk-off hit and also a clutch home run as well. So even though his his sort of thing is that he doesn't do well in the postseason, remember, he was the NLCS MVP in 2018. Chris Taylor's another good one. He was the co-MVP in uh, the 2017 NLCS. So we got a lot of guys that that can bring it once uh, once the games start to really matter. Yep. All right. So just summing it up real quick, the Brewers have maybe three guys that can beat you in the lineup as opposed to the Dodgers who have t- arguably 10 guys that can beat you in their lineup. Now the, that's the boring stuff, believe it or not. Now this is where it gets kind of weird. The pitching. David already kind of alluded to it. He mentioned Suter could be starting. He's a lefty. We honestly have no idea who could be starting. It could be even Brandon Woodruff. I'll read a quote from him in a little bit. But the Dodgers pitching is still superior to the Brewers as it was in 2018. Dodgers have a 302 team ERA. The Brewers have a 416 team ERA. So Dodgers are top two. Brewers are 11th. Now, the Brewers are good at getting guys to strike out. They have the third best K rate from their pitchers. Their bullpen is still not better than the Dodgers as well. They rank 11th at 417, while the Dodgers have a 274 bullpen ERA. All right, so the guys we got to talk about, Josh Hader. Let me just read you a quote from him, and then you guys can do a deeper dive on him because he's kind of the X factor, one of two at least. Josh Hader said just the other day, I feel like we owe them a lot, obviously losing to them in Game 7 in 2018. So clearly this Brewers team, he's not the only one, has revenge on their mind. Do we think that's going to make a difference that the Dodgers beat them in 2018? Do you think the Brewers come in even more fired up? Or are they the team that they've been all season long? I was going to say, I mean, I don't know how many players they have that are left over from that team. I mean, I feel like for the most part, they're not going to be too – I mean, it's not like they – I mean, they – had anything where they just straight up lost like the Dodgers they were the better team they deserved to win the series my only concern especially with like a guy like Josh Hader we saw it in that we know that series where they were bringing him in like in like the third or fourth inning and they were having him go especially now in a three-game series they might say you know what let's just have this guy go three four innings you know in game one and two see what happens and then if we somehow pull off a miracle we'll figure it out in the five game series I mean the Brewers this is why I hate the three game series where if you're a team like the Dodgers you have everything to lose if you're the Brewers you wouldn't have made the playoffs anyway you're just playing with house money you have nothing to lose we'll see what happens so I think the Brewers they can pull I mean we've seen what Craig Council can do back I mean I forget who it was when he like literally started them for one at bat in the, Wade, in that Wade line, Miley, Wade yeah. Miley, and then he then he pulled them. So I, I wouldn't be shocked. So again, with, with the Brewers, who knows? I mean, haters, he's capable of going multiple innings. And again, since we're likely going to have to see bullpen games for the most part, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see this guy come in, in in two games. And this this seems like the kind of guy where he'll say, "Listen, coach, whatever you need for me, I can go four. I can go five if you need it, and he'll do it." So hopefully that's not the case, but. Again, Hater, he scares me just because we've seen it in the past where you don't have to save him until the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. You can bring this guy in, you know, three through four through five. And if that's the case, I mean, I, I don't know for you know Devin Williams how what his like max is. He's gone, but if he can go two innings and they can get three from Hater and they can do that in both games, that that it's literally just two guys in their entire pitching staff for me. That's it. But it could be enough from those two guys if they you know use them the right way and can eat up innings. Again, it, it, it could be bad for the Dodgers. Yeah, and, and I kind of want to piggyback off of that, Blake, because one point I do want to make, even though overall the Dodgers bullpen is far superior collectively than the Brewers, there's really nobody in the Dodgers bullpen who you are necessarily afraid of, I would say. That's, that's maybe, maybe too hot of a take there, but I'm not afraid of Kenley Jansen. Blake Trinan's been good, but he hasn't been good lately. And you just don't really have anybody like 
like a hater um, in, in the bullpen that you're just like, oh, my God, we better score runs. Like we were saying, we better score runs. Otherwise, we don't want to face those guys. I don't think they're necessarily saying that on the other side. I think the Dodgers have superior starting pitching. And I love Bueller in the playoffs. I think he's been awesome. And I think, I think Kershaw is going to be uh, as sharp as well. And whether you go May or Gonsolin, if, there is a, if there's a third game, I mean, these are you know, elite starting, pitching, uh, starting pitchers that we have. Um, so that, that's something that I'm fearful of is that, like you said, Craig Council can do whatever he wants. They're playing with house money, like you mentioned. They, they have the ability to kind of try and do everything, whereas the Dodgers have a lot on the line and a lot to lose. And then before David dives into to Hater and company, um, Blake, you touched on what the squad looked like in 2018. Well, in Game 7, this is their starting lineup. Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, Travis Shaw, Jesus Aguilar, Mike Moustakis, Eric Kratz, who was the catcher, Orlando Arcia, and Julius Chassin was the starting pitcher. So not a lot of carryover. Uh, from that 2018 roster. And then the Dodgers just have upgraded exponentially at every position uh, in that lineup. Of course, you've got AJ Pollock, uh, you've got Seager over Machado, you've got Smith in there over Barnes and Yasmani Grandal. And of course, the big one is Mookie Betts over Yasiel Puig. Jake, I strongly disagree with your take that the Dodgers don't have anyone to fear in their bullpen. And I'll explain explain that in a minute. I'm just going to let David go real quick. Okay, so just for the people at home, just to give you a, a you know a look at what we're going to be seeing. So we know we know what Woodruff is. We he might might start game one. I doubt it. Uh, he's sixty five percent of the time he's throwing a hard fastball or a sinker. He's got a change, a curve, and a slider. Uh, Dodgers have had success against him in the past. Jock three for three. Uh, Bellinger two for four. Seager two for three. Small sample size, but still success. Uh, the other guys we need to look at in terms of a starter, depth, long long guys, but it's either going to be Adrian Hauser, who's a right handed pitcher. Uh, he had a 530 ERA this year, but he had a 482 FIP and a 4.10 expected FIP. So, you know, he pitched a little better than his ERA stands. Uh, he's kind of a, you know, he's a righty uh, who, you know, struggles against left-handed pitching as you would expect, uh, left-handed hitting as you'd expect. Uh, lefties are hitting 336 with a 988 OPS and seven home runs and a 361 batting average on balls in play, while righties are hitting 219 with a 584 OPS and a 278 average on balls in play. I would expect him to go two at most, uh, and then I think they're going to implore the strategy Blake said uh, with just pounding Hayter and Williams at us. The other guy they could start is Brent Suter, who's basically the left-handed version of, of Adrian Hauser. Uh, he is a reverse splits guy, though. Uh, righties have had a little bit less success than lefties. Uh, 241 batting average, 609 OPS, where lefties are hitting 250 with a 7, 718 OPS. Uh, so those two guys, and, and dark horse candidate Josh Lindblom, but I doubt they use him, uh, hasn't been that great this year. So I think those are the two guys you would expect to see uh, at some point in the series. But what they really have to worry about are the guys we talked about, Hayter, Devin Williams, and one other guy we haven't mentioned is Freddie Peralta. Uh, Peralta is a right-handed pitcher. He's actually pitched fairly well. He is, has elite peripherals uh, in K percentage, whiff percentage, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage. Uh, also a reverse splits guy. Uh, he's a right-hander, but in, he has 10 earned runs in 13 innings against uh, right-handed batters, uh, where it's only three earned runs in 16 innings against lefties. Uh, he can go multiple innings. His max was four this year. Uh, so I would expect he could start game one, pitch two innings, and then go to Hader and Williams. Uh, we know about Hayter, uh, and just to throw some stats about, uh, on Williams, just to, just to illustrate how good this guy's been 0.33 ERA, 0.63 wit in 27 innings. He's in the hundredth percentile in K percentage, expected batting average with percentage, expected ERA, expected slugging throws a change up 52% of the time, arguably the best change up in baseball. And he can go more than one inning. Uh, so the Dodgers got their hands full here with Williams and Hayter, uh, and don't sleep on Peralta either. Yeah, the changeup change up of Williams. Batters are hitting 032 against it. They got one hit all season. Fastball's a little better, batting 200. Uh, yeah, he grades out in almost max capacity in every percentile. But Josh Hader, the guy we'll go a little more in depth on real quick, 379 ERA. He only went like 19 innings. That was kind of surprising. His fastball spin rate is one of his weaker areas, 10 out of 100 rating. 
and the barrel. If you can make contact with this guy, it's going yeah. far. It's one out of 100, the bare minimum. It's insane. But he throws two pitches this year, a fastball 68% of the time, and a slider that are 32%. He's given up three home runs on that fastball, 179 average. On his slider, he's only given up one hit as well. So these guys, Williams and Hayter, they're off speed and breaking pitches. They're, that's the difference. And the Dodgers in the past, we've seen them not disciplined against those type of pitches. So it's going to be really interesting. Brandon Woodruff, um, we can't rule him out just yet in terms of starting game one. He was asked if, if he's ready to pitch, and he said, I'm up for anything. And he hit a home runoff Clayton Kershaw in the NLCS. So yeah, maybe hopefully this guy he doesn't DH. He might be one of the better batting options as well. We just don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, right. I wouldn't expect him to, to go game one. Uh, there's not really a reason. They're not, you know, they, I, I just don't see it happening. He, of course he's going to say that. But, you know, Count, Craig Council's a madman, but I don't think he's, you know, a psychopath. This is where I'm going to throw out my hot take and you guys can piggyback or disagree, but the mindset for Dave Roberts going into this series, it's different than any years past because usually we're like, don't overmanage things, Dave, let the pitchers work it out. Don't pull them too soon. I'm doing a 180 on that take. This is the series for Dave Roberts to completely overmanage. Here's some examples. Why if Kenley Jansen doesn't have it, he starts to walk it to one or two guys. You pull him right away. You do not flirt with any disasters. If Walker Bueller, who we'll, we'll talk about the starters real quick, if he's not looking sharp through three innings and he's walking a lot of guys, that's it. Pull him. Do not let this escalate. You go to the bullpen right away. You bring in Julio Urias, Dustin May, Gonsolin. And the same can be said for Kolarik, Baez. You go down the floor. If these guys do not have control right away, this is not the team to let these guys figure it out. You continue to have one guy warming up in the bullpen, and it's, it's, next, it's next man up instantly. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but the same could be said for platoon matchups. Dave Roberts was asked how the roster might look, and he basically said 12 pitchers might be on the team. Therefore, what is that, 16 hitters? That's more than enough guys to play the matchups. If Jock Peterson's facing a lefty, Pull them right away. I don't care about later in the game. You try to get those runs early on. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I've always thought this about Dave Roberts. I mean, the dude, the dude doesn't pull players when he needs to, and he allows players to pitchers specifically to just sit out there to die. That's his thing that he does. So for me, a quick trigger in this scenario, if if he feels that someone is not. Uh, performing how they're supposed to be performing or they're getting into trouble. I don't mind a quick trigger there. The problem I have is that when he has someone in there that is dominating, that no one's been able to touch, and then he goes and gets them, like Rich Hill or whatever. You know what I mean? So that's always been my problem. And with Kenley Jansen specifically, as, as he you know has shown throughout this season, is that Kenley Jansen got into some trouble and he just let him, he just left him out there to die. And so that's, that's always been my criticism of him is that he never knows when to leave pitchers in and when to take them out. But I agree. He needs to have a quick trigger. If he feels that there's someone that, you know, if he feels that a pitcher is slipping or getting into trouble at the first sign of trouble, you get, you, you take him out of there. Now, of course that is dependent on the score and the situation and all of that. But generally I agree. You got it. You got to have a quick trigger in this scenario. You can't afford to lose one game. Exactly. Yeah. No Kershaw. No Kershaw out of the pen. Like, <laughs> no, please no. Like, and like the, the worst part is, it's just like the fact that Dave fooled us last year when even although Kershaw got out of it in the seventh inning, everyone he shouldn't have been in there. Shouldn't have been in there anyway. He just, he, I forget who he struck out, but he got the strikeout. Adam Eaton. And, and everyone was like, wow, what a genius move. No, it was an awful move to begin with. So no Kershaw. My thing is, I. I, I could understand it, but because uh, I think he was asked this like a, a few weeks ago after Kenley's meltdown when he allowed like six consecutive hits before getting taken out of the game, which I've, I don't think I've ever seen a reliever allow six consecutive hits. Um, and someone said like, Dave, the second you know he allows a base runner, are you going to get someone up in the bullpen? And he's like, no, we don't want to do that. I don't want to like ruin his confidence. The thing I don't get is, and they've always said this, where don't get a guy in the bullpen, it ruins their confidence. In a situation like this, I feel like, oh, I just allowed, you know, a single. Someone's in the pen. I need to lock it in right now so I don't blow this. I feel like them seeing a guy warming in the bullpen says, 
wow, okay, they don't trust me. They're worried I'm going to blow this. Let me show them. But I, I completely agree. This it depends again. It depends on how big the lead is. So we're talking like a three, four run lead, maybe not. But if it's a one or two run game, regardless of who's in, I have. I mean, my my two guys who ironically I think I'm most um, like relying on, like I'm the most confident. I think is Victor Gonzalez and Adam Kolarik. Those two guys. I mean, Victor Gonzalez has been fantastic, and Kolarik. I mean, I, I saw this the other day. I, I was looking up his splits. I think lefties have like an OPS of like 130 against him this year. So he's, he's still been fantastic. So maybe those two guys, but anyone else, anyone else, if they allow someone or two on base, you got to get someone loaded in that pen. Cause we've seen with Dave, he'll go with guys too long. I mean, we saw with Joe Kelly last year, Joe Kelly came in for the ninth. Okay. Fantastic. He did his job. And then Dave said, you know what? Let me just play with how like try, try to have him do this again in the 10th. Like, no. And I, I am kind of confused as to how in Dave studies play plans on carrying 12 to 13 pitchers. I don't think the Dodgers necessarily need that many bats. Cause I think they're still sticking with the 28 uh, man roster. In the they post. are. Yeah. So if that's the case, I don't understand why they need 15, 16 bats. I mean, have the guys you have now maybe have like an extra bat, but I, I don't think there's need to have that big of a bench because as we've seen all year, I mean, these guys are fine. They really don't pitch it anymore, especially with the DH. So uh, we'll see, but I mean, for me, I think, and especially in a three-game series, you need all hands on deck. I mean, if a guy again he comes in, gets allows the first guy to reach, I don't care. Got to go to the next guy. I, you just got to be able to move. So, we'll see. Um, I assume they'll probably be releasing the roster tomorrow, and we'll probably have more clarity in regards to that. But I, I need as many pitchers as possible. I mean, I don't even know who we'd potentially bring up. Whether I mean, I'd rather have a Mitchell White as opposed to Matt Beatty. Like, I'd rather have Mitchell White come in, potentially get an out or two, as opposed to Matt Beatty, who has been awful this year, and just a waste of bats sitting on the bench who might not use. I completely agree. Um, you know, it's – I don't understand how they're going to make it work, but, you know, it's they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, I, I don't see an advantage to having six or seven guys on the bench uh, when you're going to play your best players every day. Uh, the one thing that we haven't brought up is the, the Brewers are at a disadvantage. While they do have Hayter and Williams – they haven't seen the Dodgers this year. So they haven't seen our relievers this year. They haven't seen Trinan. They haven't seen Victor Gonzalez. Uh, you know, they haven't seen much of Gonsolin or May, if at all. Uh, so there's an advantage there for the Dodgers. Uh, obviously, it goes both ways. Um, but we have seen, I think we've seen Peralta in the past. Obviously, we've seen Hayter in the past. Uh, and we've seen Woodruff in the past. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, throwing the new guys at, at the Brewers is, is, a, is a strategy I like a lot. All right, it's time to address the elephant in the room that, Jake just said a really terrible take, and I just want to <laughs> destroy that right now. Go he for said it. There, he said there's no one to fear in the bullpen. This is like 2018 all over again when everyone was underestimating the Dodgers' bullpen. Let's just start with the guy that Blake mentioned, Victor Gonzalez. Dude's going to build a legacy for himself after this season's over. Guy is an, nearly an automatic out out of the pen. Adam Kolarik is going to own Christian Yelich just like he owned Juan Soto last year. And then all hands on deck, Dustin May could come out throwing 100 miles an hour. Tony Gosselin could come out throwing all his crazy pitches that no one's been able to touch. And then you got Julio Urias, another shutdown reliever, I mean, traditionally at least. And then, yeah, Kenley Jansen's been struggling, but I still have a feeling that at least the opposition doesn't underestimate him as much as Dodger fans might. And then Dylan Flora. I got binders full of relievers, if you get the reference out there. No one's laughing, but... No, I, I get the reference. <laughs> Dylan, my... Floro, Dylan Floro absolutely shut this team down in 18, and he's going to do it again in 2020. Then you got Pedro Baez and Joe Kelly, who can throw gas out there. The Dodgers' bullpen... He doesn't throw 16 straight just, curveballs. It's insane. Like, there's just so look, many different options. I'm, to I'm not – look, I'm not saying that the Dodgers' bullpen is inferior to the Brewers' bullpen. I, no, I, you said there's no guys to fear. Right. That's my point. There are no guys to really fear. They're not using Victor Gonzalez in the late innings. They're not using Dylan Floro in the late innings. Yeah. They're using him in the, be, in, in the sort of the beginning of the game or the middle of the game. But I'm talking about the guys that they continually go to at the back end of the bullpen, which are Blake Trinan – and Kenley Jansen. That's, that's a and, David's boy. Uh, I know. I like I like <laughs> You guys will see. You guys will see what Trinan <laughs> Hold does. On. Hold on. Let me finish. <laughs> let me finish my point. So you've got Blake Trinan and Kenley Jansen. You're telling me those guys are are are, are scarier or or more, you know, fear-inducing than than Josh Hader and Williams? Hey Mike. Like, 
Of Wait, course not. No one is. Josh Look, Hader. That, that's that's my up, point. Josh that's my Hader point. Gave up the game losing hit in the wild card game last season. There's no reason for him not to do it again. I know, but but let's say let's take the four of us, right? The four four Dodgers fans, and let's take whatever like other Brewers podcast that may be going on out there with the four similar dudes talking about the same thing. Do you think they're talking about, oh, we better score early and often <laughs> off of Bueller and Kershaw? Because no, they're talking about of- we better score a run, a singular <laughs> run. Yeah. My, my point is, is that the, there isn't that fearfulness at the back end of the bullpen like they have yeah. with the Brewers. That's all I'm saying. Well, it looks by looking at the stats, Brewers hitters have been scared of every pitcher they face this year. Um, so, yes, I agree with both of you. I, I agree with Jake that, you know, there's not the hater Williams one-two punch in our bullpen. But I also agree uh, that we got seven or eight guys who are capable of shutting anyone down. Uh, you know, it's not going to be the domination that we've seen from Hader or Williams, you know, the, the, the raw physical talent and then, the, you know, the, the, the change up and the slide. It's not going to be that, uh, but it's just, the, it's just the one, two, three inning that we've seen from seven or eight guys in our bullpen uh, who are capable of being unhittable. Uh, so it's just a matter of if, if they perform that way and if Dave Roberts doesn't, you know, mess that up. I just have, I have a quick question for you three. Cause I mean, like I was thinking about hater Williams where like, if my life was on the line and I need three outs, like I'm pretty sure those guys are going to get it. So if your guys' life was on the line and you, you need a one, two, three inning, who out of the Dodgers pen are you taking? And this is excluding like Dustin May, Tony Gonson, Julio Rios, who are like classified starters. So again, everyone, I mean, the Dodgers bullpen, I think they were like number one across the board. But again, if your life was on the line, like it kind of brings up like what Jay was talking about, like who, like who's the Brewers fearing? I just want to know who you guys would take to get you three outs, like a clean inning, a clean inning. Okay. One, two, three. Right now, my heart says Blake Trinan, <laughs> but my brain right now says Victor Gonzalez. I agree. That's where I'm at right now as well. Victor Gonzalez is the, is the pick for me, but it's, but, but when you ask that, question Blake my mind wasn't like oh Victor Gonzalez it was yeah, like yeah, I had to yeah. think about it for a minute yeah <laughs> whereas with okay. the Brewers you don't have to do that yeah I'm gonna go different just we're going off this matchup strictly I gotta pick one reliever I'm gonna go Kenley Jansen to be honest oh. I think it's the World Series where this guy collapsed let's be honest NLDS NLCS he is almost True. nearly a one two three and I mean, yes, there's some pressure, obviously, but the pressure isn't mounting right now on Jansen. If he's coming out of the ninth, the thing that typically killed this guy is pitch it, come, let him come out in the eighth, get a guy out. Now he has to go to the dugout. He's probably overthinking things. Then he comes out again in the ninth, and that's where the bad things happen. If Roberts does this right, brings it out strictly for the ninth inning, the guy's going to be motivated. He's got redemption on his mind. One of the key words for David over there, redemption. Jansen is my guy. I think he's going to well, be fired up. They're in Dodger Stadium. There's no fans to boo him. Every, everything is just perfect for him. Well, here's the thing. The Dodgers bullpen is good enough so that Dave Roberts doesn't have to rely on Kenley Jansen to go multiple innings and have to bring in Clayton Kershaw out of the bullpen. That's, his yeah. bullpen, his bullpen hope, is good enough. Is good enough. He made it's that good. mistake in 17, though. Yes. Well, he, he – Blew out the bullpen. He overused the crap Basically out of those guys. Ended Brandon Morrow's career, right? Just as it was beginning to restart. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if Dave Roberts does it correctly, you're not going to have, you're not going to need or want or have Kenley Jansen have to go multiple innings. All right, we got to start to wrap things up. We've been talking way too much about this Dodgers Brewer series. But well, to round I mean, it that's out, that's kind of the point of this whole episode. But <laughs> to round it out, we've been talking way too much baseball. We <laughs> got to talk about the starting pitchers for the Dodgers. We have a question from one of our great fans at Darling Darla eighteen Darla Jimenez. Since Bueller will very likely be on a pitch count because of the blister, should he have been named the game one starter? Yes, yes, one hundred percent. That dude performs in the postseason, three-game series, no time to dick around here. Uh, you got to go with Bueller. Uh, Kershaw, you know, he pitched well in, in one game in that uh, 2018 NLCS, but he also kind of got a little roughed up in another. Um, if, you, if you watch Bueller's last start, uh, you know the dude's ready. 
as far as how long he'll go, I don't know. Uh, but that's why we have the bullpen we just talked about and Julio Arias and possibly Dustin May. Uh, so, yes, is my answer. Yeah, he, he's, he's the right option. But one thing that I was kind of toying with and would have potentially liked to see is throw Kershaw game one and then have the, you know, the duo combo of Gonsolin, May, game two. Just, you know, assuming Kershaw wins – I mean, this is, again, assuming Kershaw wins game one, go with Gonsolin, May, which I still think they'd win anyway in game two. And then if, God forbid, we go to a game three – then you have Walker Bueller, the guy that you absolutely want on the mound. Because all of a sudden now, again, let's say this series gets tied 1-1. I'm still confident with Tony Gonsal and Dustin May, you know, taking us into game three. But I feel a lot more confident in Walker Bueller. So, again, Bueller, he, he was the easy choice going game one. However, I just – a part of me was like just in the off chance you get to game three, have him available. And I still think with Kershaw, then again, Gonsal and May in game two, you still have a pretty high chance of just you know, doing the two-game sweep. And then – you kind of save Bueller for, you know, the DS a few days later and allow his – because that blister still scares me. I'm still petrified by the thing because all you need is one or two pitches and all of a sudden it's coming off. You saw that with Rich Hill. Give him an extra week to potentially, you know, get back to normal, have him throw some hard bullpens. But, again, yeah, Walker Bueller, smart decision smart decision in game one because, again, if if it's a game seven, he's the guy you want on the mound. So if you can go up 1-0 immediately with him, you do it. Yeah, I, I think that Walker Bueller is the obvious choice, should be game one starter in any in any scenario. But the one thing I I do think about is that it does put a lot of pressure on Walker Bueller to perform in game one. Because if you lose game one and then you have Kershaw come in game two, Kershaw is not great in elimination games, as we've seen over the years. And so it does put a lot of pressure on Kershaw, even though he's been pitching well this season. Um, I, I kind of liked how they had it before with Kershaw going game one and Bueller in game two, because if you're facing elimination back against the wall, I want Bueller in there out of anybody on that team. So I, I, I see why they did it, but we're, we're just going to have to expect uh, Bueller to, to, to bring it. And if, if his last outing is any indication, he looks to be ready. And yeah. just one quick scenario before Kevin goes. Let's say Bueller pitches four innings in game one, maybe five on 60 pitches, and there's a game three. I can promise you he'll, he'll be ready for an inning or two in game oh, three. Yep. Hopefully that's the right call. Bringing starters out of the bullpen just scares well, the living heck out of me. I, I agree, but it's, <laughs> this is Walker Bueller we're talking about. Fair, fair, yeah. Uh, Jake already said, if the Dodgers go down 0-1, I'm gonna, I'll be absolutely terrified knowing our season is on the line with Clayton Kershaw. But with that being said, Clayton Kershaw has been damn good this season. 6-2 and with a 2-16 ERA. His slider, his curveball, both the opposing batters are hitting under 200 against it. His fastball is nearly at that market as well at 203. Walker Buehler, the spin rate on his curve and fastball have been out of this world, ranking the 97th out of 100 percentile. And opponents are only hitting 102 against that four-seamer. So these are the two guys. These are the two right guys. I like the order given they're both on five days rest. So let's see what happens. And I think that's going to conclude our preview. Let's hear the final thoughts real quick, what, if there's anything we left out. I think I think I think we got this. I, I think the Dodgers are going to win this. Uh, obviously, it's scary in a three-game series. Um, game one is probably the most terrifying in a three-game series. Um, but if they win game one, chances are they're going to win the series. I like our chances with Bueller. Uh, I like that Woodruff probably isn't pitching game one. Um, like I said, score runs early and we win the series. Just win. Like I, they should win. They're the better team. I like their odds, but if just something happens and they lose that first game and all of a sudden they're down. Oh, one. Oh boy. Like I, I'd be fun. I, I don't even Twitter is going to, Twitter is going to break down. That's for sure. But being down. Oh, one. I mean, it's still, when it's, if it's a one, one series going into game three, I'm not going to be worried, but again, they, they could win two games easily, but again, going down. Oh, one. That, that just scares me. I mean, that petrifies me. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they can just do what needs to be done. But again, as we've seen in postseason baseball, just in baseball in general, any, any baseball team can win on any given night. I mean, yep. we could be playing the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, we, even the Texas Rangers. We lost a game to the Texas Rangers, who were the worst team out there. So 
anything can happen. Just take care of business. Hopefully everything goes right. And uh, yeah, no curse out of the pen, please. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm just going to echo you guys. Uh, obviously we got to score often and early and, the, the, thing, the thing that bothers me most about this three-game playoff series is the fact that you've got a team like the Milwaukee Brewers who just absolutely limped into the postseason at 29-31. and 31. You've got the Dodgers who have the best record. They have the exact same chance to win a three-game series. Like, there is no advantage to being the best team or dominating the National League like the Dodgers did. And that's what really bothers me about this setup even in basketball when you have eight teams at each conference making the postseason every every uh, round is seven games so you know i I don't understand why baseball even a five-game series worries me and and the dodgers you know proved that last year where they got knocked out in five games so to me in moving forward i would just want to get rid of this sort of eight eight and eight teams 16 teams making the postseason and and make the first round seven games and make every round seven games. That's what I would do. And I agree with you guys. If we lose game one, it's going to feel awful. And I know that I'm while watching game one, I'm going to be just sweating profusely and just anxious the whole time. If we win game one, I'm going to feel a lot better. But it, th- th- this is just a, a nightmare scenario for us. Yeah. Blake Harris, we appreciate having you on. Thank you for coming on to the incline. Always a good time, guys. Always, always a uh, a great time. All right, we got to do a quick segment here. We're gonna do we're gonna do a quick segment here. We're gonna recap where we were right and where we were wrong, and we're gonna just do a couple of these lightning round. Since I know you, we've given you've given us a lot of your time already, listeners. We really appreciate it. But I'll start with one that I was very wrong about. It's the San Diego Padres. I predicted them to go twenty-five and thirty-five. I believe. They were pretty much the second best team in the National League all season long. I'll take the fall on that. I was dead wrong. Looks like they might be advancing to the NLDS as well since they're facing St. Louis. Not going to go too deep into predictions, but I'll start with that one as one I was very wrong about. Yeah, and similarly, I was dead wrong about the Diamondbacks. Um, I thought that they were going to present the biggest threat to the Dodgers in the NL West. And then similarly, even though they still are a terrible franchise, the San Francisco Giants I, were a lot better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and even if they, you know, all they had to do was win yesterday, and they couldn't even do that. So uh, they suck. They still suck. I hate them. But I was wrong about how, um, how bad they were, or how good or bad they were going to be. Yeah, that was mine. Uh, I famously predicted the Giants would win 12 games. Uh, and they came within two runs of making the playoffs. Uh, so I'll take the L on that one, although I agree with Jake. They're still trash. Uh, and also I said Max Muncy would be the team MVP this year. Uh, he got off to a slow start. I did really, too. Yeah, didn't really live up to that you know, prediction on my end. So I'm sorry, Max, for jinxing you. Um, and where I was right was Blake Trinan. Uh, I've been pounding my fist on the table since the offseason. He showed up big this year. He pitched in many, many, many big spots and delivered more often than not. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go with those two. David, uh, and I had a, David, I had a feeling you were going to kind of sell your show, sell yourself short on just how wrong you were about one other topic. So I'm putting you on the spot right do now. It. Do it. You said multiple episodes, I even believe, Corey Seager should be their trade candidate for Francisco Lindor, and you also predicted Corey Seager would be the team disappointment. So I'll give you I, the rebuttal. I did. Uh, I, I wasn't necessarily, you know, clamoring for a trade for Lindor. Um, would I have accepted in the offseason? Yes. Um, I didn't think he was going to be doing what he's doing this year. Uh, you know, he's had issues staying healthy, uh, and he's, he's proved me wrong, and I, I couldn't be happier about it. So I – I don't have a rebuttal. I was wrong. I will happily admit it. Uh, Corey Seager's been dynamite this year, and hopefully that postseason, that continues into the postseason. I will say that the best feeling is, is when you think a player on the team that you support is going to do poorly and they end up doing really well. It's, yeah. it's, it's the best L you can take, I think. Exactly. Um, and for me, I'm going to take a victory lap on A.J. Pollock. 
what I said was is that AJ Pollock, my it was my one scalding hot take that we did at the beginning of the season, and I said AJ Pollock will remain healthy, which he did, and have a career year, which he did. So I'm I just I love that. I love the story, uh, the backstory of AJ Pollock of the complications that he had with his uh, his daughter that was born prematurely. He also got COVID. Uh, so there were a lot of things that he had to go through in order to play. He had a conversation with his wife who basically said like, you're not opting out. Like, how would you feel if you watched your team win the world series from the couch? So big props to her. Um, I just, I love what he's done this year. He's been absolutely clutch and just, just, just a career year. And and I couldn't be more happy. Uh, couldn't be happier for AJ Pollock. Um, the best reliever I said this year was going to be Pedro Baez. And, you know, well, that, that didn't happen at all. I just thought based on his previous years that he was going to capitalize on that, but he dealt with some injuries and stuff. But I hope, hopefully, Pedro will be good in the postseason. Yeah. All right. I'm a man of integrity, so not afraid to admit when I've been dead wrong. Some other quick ones, real quick. I said Kent Maeda basically sucked. He's been the opposite now <laughs> with the Twins. He's really good. One of the best pitchers in the American League. I also flirted with the idea of signing Madison Bumgarner in the offseason. I said Yuck. he'd be a nice piece in the rotation. He's been awful. ERA over eight or whatever. Complete disaster there. And then, yeah, I mean, that also kind of correlates with my D-backs pick of thinking they'd be legit. Where I was right, I said Austin Barnes would be a solid catcher. I got a lot of hate. And he had one of the best team on base percentage. He ended up grading out with a hundred out of a hundred catcher framing ability on baseball savant. So beat that. Clayton Kershaw and him are a perfect duo. They've been on fire. I also said Clayton Kershaw was in line for a great season. So far that's come through. Corey Seager would be legit. That's also come through. And the last thing I want to just cap off because I hate this team. I said the Astros would not finish above 500. They were just so bad this season. Their team batting average was even worse than I could even anticipate. I think Jose Altuve finished the year hitting 219. Trash. Springer hit like 250, 260 or so. Correa around the same area as well. Gurriel sucks. Josh Reddick was pathetic. But here's the thing, though. It's like MLB can't even punish them by – not having them in the playoffs. They're still in the playoffs. Uh, yes, exactly. They'll That's lose. Don't worry. They'll lose. I, yeah, I they'll know, lose. but like, God, can they just go away? <laughs> That's a team that actually had no business being in the postseason. So let's hope uh, they get their butts handed to them fast. All right, out of left field real quick. With, especially now with, with family, family coming over, I have this pet peeve where every time you go somewhere to eat – you go over to, you know, your family members, your friend's house, whatever, everyone's sitting at the table to eat. And, you know, whoever's the host, they give their toast, whatever, and it's a good time. And then everyone digs in. And after one bite, oh, this is so good. You did a fantastic <laughs> job. Oh, this is fantastic. And the entire meal, people just, oh, the, these mashed potatoes are so, oh, these green beans are, like, it's like, I'm sure the food's good. Really, the, the second someone takes a bite, first bite. Oh, this is fantastic. This, this is so good. This is so good. So that's, that's my one thing. Cause I know it's going to happen tonight. It happens everywhere I go and I can't personally stand it. Not a fan of politeness. It sounds like. <laughs> no, I hate when people are nice. I hate that's, it. Pr- that's premature politeness. Like at least chew your food and swallow it first. Like wait, wait five minutes. Like wait till the meal is halfway over. Then, Hey, by the way, like, did you make this lasagna? It's pretty good. Yeah. But after one bite, you can't determine that after one bite. You need a back, few. Backdating to our little debate last week, what are your thoughts on leaving Yelp reviews? I, I didn't tweet this, but I hate Yelp for the sole reason. Thank back you. when I, wor- I was gonna I was gonna reply to it, but I didn't know how to word it. Back when I worked at Blazed Pizza, like four or five years ago, there was this Mormon that would always come in like once a week. And I was always chill with him. I was always friendly with him. He was probably like mid to late 20s. We were always chill. And then for whatever reason, one day. I guess he didn't have a good encounter with me. He goes to Yelp, leaves a one-star review saying, yeah, this kid, Blake, he was harassing me. He was <laughs> saying all this stuff about my religion. And I was like, no, like, this guy's literally coming like 15 times. So I got in trouble with corporate. We got in trouble because of one bad Yelp review for yep. some guy that I was homies with. So uh, again, it's I, I understand like there are times when I go to Yelp to see reviews, but it, those are my thoughts. That's, that's, that's the correct mindset. Sorry that happened to you. I would never do that. I would, I, would, I would never do that to a poor young t- 
teenager, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I was like 17. The guy scarred me. <laughs> Yelp is a disease. It is. All right. Michael Smith. I'll never forget his name. <laughs> Blake Harris, everyone. Thank you for that. Great stuff. When people say this online or even to my face, it just kind of, it makes me sad. And it's the take of pineapple does not belong on pizza. That's correct. You're, no, you're incorrect. It tastes great. Yeah, no, that is, are you both like pineapple on pizza? Are you kidding, dude? It's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. It's disgusting, dude. The last thing I want is a piece of cold pineapple on my hot pizza. That is gross. Usually the pineapple is heated up for what it's worth. Even worse, <laughs> hot pineapple so on my hot pizza. Maybe you're going to Pizza Hut where it sucks, but when pizza it's done, does suck. Oh God, yeah. disgusting. That's just grotesque. Pineapple absolutely does deserve to be on pizza. First of all, Prove me wrong here. Pineapple does not, there's just no food on planet earth where pineapple tastes disgusting on that, on that solid, solid pizza. edible item. Pizza. No, it does not. Pizza is very salty. And what does, what does pineapple do? It adds like this little sweet kick to it. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Pineapple, Gross. pineapple and pepperoni. A great I can't marriage. believe I'm outnumbered here. Right yeah. Now. Great like, marriage. I'm, or this is or just, Canadian bacon, ham, this Hawaiian is style. It's great. And it also adds a, it adds healthy elements to it. I mean, you got oh, your vitamin God, C, fiber. <laughs> Spare me, Kathy. That 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 that's a bridge too far for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank when you. you're downing all that salt and cholesterol, why not? Yeah, yeah. I feel much better knowing that I had pineapple on my pizza when I'm like bloated and lying on my bed in pain. Yeah, just just no, dude. If you're gonna get pizza, just just eat pineapple later, dude. No, and pepperoni pizza. I'm sorry. It's the most overrated, boring, plain kind of pizza you could order. I don't like, think we have enough time to address these takes that are so coming out of your mouth right I'm now. I'm leaving it at that. I, I, I'm at a loss. I'm, I'm outnumbered and outgunned here. So I, anyone listening, I know you have my back. So, so thank you. Um, my out of left field is very quick. Uh, it's basically two sentences. It is people who eat their meat, steak, or any kind of meat, well done, are sociopaths. Yes. <laughs> yes. They are not well. Preach. <laughs> that is it. Take. That is all I have to say. I, I don't have to do, explain anymore. Those people are sociopaths. That is all. I, I agree, and I'll just I'll say two sentences too. My girlfriend prefers everything well done, and it just – really irks me because it just takes away the flavor and the fat content it's disgusting why would you eat it's a an, well done steak it it's just, an insult don't even eat meat at that point it dries out the fish the chicken just don't do it medium way to go medium medium rare is the only correct way to eat steak but that's okay um my out of field is very quick as well and i i have a feeling that the two of you will be on board with this so I think what bothers me most about this pandemic is when I have to, we, you literally cannot have a conversation with someone without talking about it. Like it is always the first part of the conversation. Well, ugh, this, you know, unprecedented times we're living in. This is just, yeah. just the uncertainty of it. Yeah. I know I got the N99. No, I got this mask. Mask doesn't really work. And you know, you got to go through the whole damn damn process before you can actually catch up with someone. And so it's just really annoying. It's kind of akin to how you have to wish people happy new year into February and March. Like it's just, you know, it's annoying and we all get it. This, all of this sucks having to wear a mask in public and, and being careful who you're in contact with and the testing and, and, and the fact that it's a deadly pandemic as well is just awful and, you know, everyone, you know, should take those precautions and whatnot, but just having to talk about it, literally every chance you do with someone else is just something that, you know, I'm not a fan of. Yeah, Jake, I, I can almost relate. It's almost like every three episodes you bring up something about the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, that was good. Well done. Not, but not your stakes. That was just a well done comment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good one. Good one. All right, Thank cool. You. <sighs> that concludes the out of left field. Thank you all. And let's just close out real quick. Final thoughts. Why don't you go quick? Let's do this. Dodgers in two. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. 
That's Dodgers it. in two? Okay, okay. I'm going to say Dodgers in three. Dodgers in three. Oh, God. The heart. The heart. I know. I know. I'm preparing for just the absolute devastation. But my final thoughts are I think we're going to get a very close. I don't know which game it's going to be. It's going to come down to the very end. And I think someone on the Dodgers is going to have some form of a walk-off hit. And I'm, just I'm down. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that I'm hoping that's like the Kurt Gibson or the Justin Turner to get this team to just momentum. And honestly, I see a clear path to the World Series. This might be the hardest round. I agree. Just, it is. just uh, to clarify, they're not having the extra inning rules in there. It's just a regular extra innings. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, that'll help. All right, everyone. If you have questions, you can always reach out to us on our Gmail at the Dodgers at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at the Incline Pod or check us out on Instagram and make sure to subscribe. Thank you all for listening to this week's Incline and hopefully we're back next week with a round two. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.